0: You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. All right. So good Uh, to fellowship, come together. Uh, just a reminder, tonight, the uh, volunteer appreciation from uh, 6.37, and then right after that, the time of uh, uh, prayer and worship together, it's actually going to be 7 to 8, so if you're thinking about bedtimes or whatever, uh, 7 to 8, and um, just, you know, part of the time together for the, the appreciation time is just this, like to get together and, and just to get to talk with one another. Maybe, you know, I'm like... um when we had one service, there was this family I used to know. I don't know if they still come here or not, but they, maybe they go to the 11 o'clock. And so I'm just going to have some uh, extra time to just visit a little bit tonight, a uh, time of uh, appreciation as far as our volunteers go, and, um, and then just a time to seek the Lord together. And um, just continually reminded of the importance of prayer, uh, the power of prayer. Um, this last week, uh, Heather and I got a chance to go to Uh, On terrible, (laughs) Uh, and uh, that was great. It was uh, it was good. We we got to see some folks who used to go to church here, and uh, and then got to be with uh, Durham uh, last weekend, uh, Redemption Durham, and look at uh, Romans two one through five, and uh, and then went to a senior pastor and wise retreat. And one of the major nails that they continued to to just hit during that time was just prayer, prayer, prayer. And um, so I just want to encourage you guys, come on out for that tonight. I want to give a special welcome to those who are watching online, um, going through the airport, wearing a mask the entire time, just like the world is not the same as it used to be, um, and um, uh, we know that part of that is people can't be here, who want to be here, and so they're watching online, and so we're, uh, we just want to welcome you um, this morning as well. Well, we're in Romans, and uh, we have been looking at gospel necessity, uh, chapter 1, chapter 1, uh, the gospel is necessary because of our hardened rebellion. we looked seen that in verses 18 to 32. And then uh, last week, Pastor Michael began a, a two-part series on the gospel necessity due to our heartless religion. And uh, we're going to see that, that God's judgment is right. He is just. And uh, there is a certain way that he judges as we looked at the passage last week, we're reminded it's not, it's not based on what I think, it's based on what God thinks. And God has, a, has revealed to us uh, in his words what he bases our judgment on. And so last week we looked at the, the need for an accurate view of our sin, to see ourselves for the way that we really are versus the way that we think that we are, and we um, um, if you've ever been um, married for more than a few days, you know that sometimes there's these moments where you're like, you think you're all right, but your spouse is making clear that you're not all right, and then vice versa, right? And um, uh, of course, uh, Bridges said, if we were our own judges, who would be condemned? We well, always have an excuse for what we do, uh, but we are happy to pounce on the, someone else. And so he's, Paul is bringing out that just because you are a Jew doesn't mean that when you lie, you're okay, but a Gentile, when they lie, they're going to hell. That's not how it works. And then he uh, moved into the, to the, the point in verse four that we also need to have an accurate view of our God, an accurate view of our God, that we have a God who is kind, a God who is gracious and merciful, and he's giving mankind an opportunity to repent The reason Christ has not yet returned is because he's giving us an opportunity to repent of our sins and to be made right with him. But when we presume upon that kindness, when we take it for granted and don't do what we ought to do, verse 5 reminds us that our future will not be well, that we will receive the wrath of God, that, that all this time that God has given us to repent, all that we're doing is storing up for ourselves wrath. And so, that's where we ended off last week, and we're going to continue in verses 6 through 16, and we're also going to see that we need to continue to have an accurate view. If we're going to avoid God's judgment, we're going to need an accurate view of our course. We're going to need an accurate view of our culpability. But before we get into it, let me pray for us just one more time. Lord God, we are thankful that you have given us this time together this morning, every breath, Every moment is to be used for you, for your worship. And so, God, we're thankful that we get to gather together this morning with the people of God, people, Lord, whom you have purchased with your blood. God, we are brothers and sisters. We are united under the almighty gospel. And so, God, we... We want, to, we want this morning to bring you honor. We want to bring you glory. Lord, we want to know you more. We want to love you more. Recognize, this Lord, Lord, this morning that we are still sinners in need of a Savior. And Lord, as we look at the text today, I pray that your spirit would just move powerfully amongst us. That Lord, we would understand your truth. And be able to apply it to our lives. Lord, we would not just be hearers of your word, but we would be doers of your word. That, Lord, if there are things that we need to change in our life, Lord, you would show us that and that you would make us more like you as a result of our time together this morning. Lord, use this preacher for your glory, for your honor. It's your name we pray. Amen. All right, Romans 2, 6 through 16. Everyone uh, open up a Bible. Um, if you have one with you, if you don't, use an app. But we want to look at God's word together this morning, understanding that this is our authority. Jesus Christ, the word, as it says in John 1, has given us, has revealed to us his will. And so we read in verse 6 he will render, continue to talk about judgment, he will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness. And their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. And so we're going to see that God's wrath is according to his righteous judgment. And to avoid God's wrath, the fourth thing that we'll need, continuing on for last, last week, is we need an accurate view of your course. You need an accurate view of your course. In other words, what direction are you going, right? If you pull out onto the number one highway and start going east, you will not arrive in Vancouver, right? You're going to arrive in Winnipeg. What course are you on? Do you understand whether or not you will be under the wrath of God, Um, Just going back to verse 5, it says, But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. In life, we're so busy. It doesn't matter. It seems to matter who I talk to. They're always like, busy is the answer of how they're doing, right? Going, 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 running, running, running but we need to stop and think about where are we going. At the end, on the day of judgment, which every man and woman who has ever lived will face, will you go to heaven or will you go to hell? If today is your last day on this earth, and nobody knows whether it is or it is not, if today is your last day, And your time is done. Where will you go? Heaven or hell? A lot of times we convince ourselves that we have time to think about that question. Like later, when I'm old, then I'll think about whether I'm going to heaven or hell. But right now, I'm just, I got time. I'll consider these things later. But we don't know when we will die. Only God knows that. And so you need to have the answer today. Where are you going today? What are you basing your answer on? Is your answer based on a feeling? Is it based on a hunch? Do you understand how it will be determined and who decides where you will go? Well, Paul helps us to understand how God's, God's judgment works. It's not based on what we think. It's based on how God has designed it. And he says in verse 6 that he will render to each one according to his works. On the day of judgment, God will look at the evidence. The evidence will be your works. What were your works? This is what he will base his judgment upon. It will not change Our God does not change. He doesn't have one, you know, one set. In other words, this is like a major theme of this entire text. He doesn't have one set of rules for these people and then a different set of rules for these people. He has one set of rules for all mankind. And so, on this day, when he looks at your works, what will he see? Now, what we think will not change this day. Now, what I mean by this is maybe you're watching online, maybe you're here today and you're like, you've already lost me. You said heaven and hell. I don't believe in either. Let me just be clear. It does not matter what you think. Like you might be watching online, just, I'm going I'm to click off this guy. You know, it's one of those fundamental kind of guys. I want you to hear this morning. Listen, this day is coming. The day of judgment is coming. It's a word of warning from God's scripture. It's another example of his kindness and his mercy towards us. He's telling us that this day will come. And how he will determine whether you go to heaven or hell is based on works, it says here. Well, wait a minute, pastor. Works? Are you saying that I can earn my way into heaven? Well, we need to look at the rest of scripture in order to answer that question but what we need to hear and what we need to see is that judgment is based on your works. If we look at the rest of Scripture, we'll see that it's for by grace you have been saved, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But after that, he says, that what? There's some works for you to do now. Works, it's still about the works, not works that I'm, I'm trying to earn my way into heaven. If I just do enough, maybe I'll be okay with him. Not works so that everyone can look at me and think I'm a good person, but works out of the, out of the thankfulness of my salvation, out of the Spirit leading me, as we're going to look at next week, out of the Spirit filling me and leading me, those kinds of works. So it still will be based on works, not my self-centered works, but The works that come as a result of my salvation. Over and over again, we are told and warned that our judgment will be based on what we have done. Not based on what we have meant to do, not based on my my my, best hopes or intentions, but based on what I actually did. Romans, uh, sorry, Revelation 20, verse 12. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Like just imagine this day. It is coming. This isn't fictional. This isn't maybe this will happen. This day is coming. And there's going to be billions and billions of people standing before the Lord. And the books will be opened. Then it says, then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they have done. According to what we have done. This is Paul's whole point in these verses 7 through 10. We've got a chiasm going on here, English lovers, okay, a chiasm, all right? A chiasm is, right, that A, B, B, A thing. Verses 7 and 10 are together. Verses 6 and 11 are together. And verses 8 and 9 are together. And basically, they're all centered upon the works. But before he gets to the works, he talks about our desires, And if you and I want to know whether we're on the right road, we have to check first our desires. Look at verse 7. It says there are two kinds, verse verse 7 and then verse 8. First, there are those who seek for glory and honor and immortality. That's one group of people. The second group of people are those who are self-seeking. Which one best describes you this morning? Are you self-seeking or are you seeking for glory and honor and immortality? To seek for glory, it sounds almost like that could be a self-centered thing, but that's not what is going on here. As we understand that those who would inherit eternal life, when they seek for glory, they're seeking God's glory. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God their whole reason for life now is not for themselves but for the glory of God seeking one day that they might be glorified we read in Romans 8:30 and those whom he predestined he also called and those whom he also just, he called he also justified and those whom he justified he also glorified living for God's glory with the hope that one day we're going to exchange these bodies for bodies of glory This person also seeks honor. It's the desire of this person to hear Jesus say one day, well done, good and faithful servant. Their whole point of this life is not for the pleasing of man, but it's for the pleasing of God. They want to bring glory and honor to him. Lastly, this person is thinking far beyond this temporal life. They're thinking of immortality. They are thinking of eternal life. They understand that the 60 to 100 to whatever years that God gives you, that's not it. That it's only just the beginning. And there are two roads one will lead to eternal life, and one will lead to eternal death. They choose to focus on eternal life. They seek it. That's the focus of their life, not on the here and now. Instead, it is on the things to come. Colossians 3, 1 and 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. As you consider your own life, does this describe you? Lord, I want you to be glorified in my life, in all that I do, whether I'm eating or drinking or whatever I do, God, may you receive glory. I don't want anyone to, to see me. I want them to see you. I, Lord, I'm, I'm living today, Lord, with the hope that I will hear one day, well done, good and faithful servant. God, I'm looking far beyond this life to the life to come. Is that your focus Is that your desire each and every day? Or are you a person who is self-seeking? The meaning of this is selfish ambition. Looking to do what I can for myself. Looking to, to, to make others think that I'm a great person. It's all about me. I'm on the throne. My kingdom come. My will be done on this earth. That's the focus of this person. Which one are you? Just, just, just a reminder, our default focus right here. That's my default. If I've not considered the gospel, if I've not, if I'm not right with the Lord, my focus is always going to be on self. No matter how pretty I try to dress it up, I'm always focused on myself. And the results are shown in my deeds. So I need to check my desires, but then I need to see the deeds. I need to check the evidence. I might say I'm on one road, but am I? Look at the proof. Look at your deeds in your life. We can all be so self-deceived. You know, one of the, one of the crazy things that's being taught in our churches in Canada you know, you know, you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you need to love your neighbor as yourself. But, but, note what it says. You need to love yourself. So focus on yourself and loving yourself. Then you'll be able to do the others. The Bible doesn't teach that anywhere. The Bible teaches you already love yourself. You do, whether you want to think so or not. Even those people who are self-hating, quote-unquote, are so focused on themselves. That's the whole point. God's saying, look, if you are on the wrong road, you will seek self. But the right road, you will seek to love others. Again, we're reminded, Luke 6.45, that my deeds reflect my heart. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. My actions reflect what's really going on. Again, married life is really helpful for this, right? (laughs) Like, You know, well, you should have known what I meant or what I thought or whatever. Well, I can only go by your actions, right? And, 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 and we get caught, and we want to rationalize, whatever, but our actions show what's really going on. So, again, looking at the two different groups, the, the one who is on the right road has patience in well-doing. The one who is seeking glory and honor and immortality is patience and well-doing. The second group, the self-seekers, do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. Here, the first person perseveres in well-doing. He patiently strives for that which is good. Good works are evident in this person's life. There's a pattern of good works in this person's life. Again, as I've already said, not because of what they're doing, but because of what the Spirit of God's doing in and through them. James, talking about this, he says, for as the body apart from the Spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. If you're truly in the Lord, if you're truly on the path that leads to eternal life, you will have good works. You will have fruit in your life. Over and over again, there is no dichotomy here. There's not the, the you know the, the the one side where you can have faith and no works, and then there's the other side where you have faith and works. No, is this faith leads to works? I was talking with some guys uh, yesterday, and, uh, and we're just doing going through the uh, hermeneutics course together, and and we just it just come to the fact that when God comes and changes your life. It's so radically different. Like one of the guys was talking, you know, like, like a decade ago, before he came to Christ, I mean, he, I mean, he was like, he had the foot on the accelerator when it comes to pursuing evil, right? Like he didn't, he didn't care what anybody thought. He hated God. And then God got a hold of his life about a decade ago, and now he meets those people 10 years later and like, who are you? Like, what happened to that guy? Well, Jesus happened to that guy. That's what happened, right? He understood who, who Christ was. He, he understood that, that through him he might be saved, even though his, his unrighteous deeds deserved judgment, that God came and sent his son, that he might have life. And as a result of that, his life has been changed forever. As you look at your own life, is there good works? I get it, like, like we're all like, I I want to be further down the road. But are you seeing this process that he who began the good work in you, are you seeing that he is being faithful to change you, to make you more like Jesus week after week, month after month, year after year? Are you seeing an increase of good works in your life as you follow in obedience, To Jesus Christ. If there's no works in your life, then what are you really putting your trust in? If there has been no change, then what gives you hope that you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant? The self seeker rejects the truth and walks in obedience to unrighteousness. Romans 8, 7 says this, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. It's an interesting way of putting it, right? That that they reject the truth and walk in obedience to unrighteousness. There's a lot of people who think that by rejecting God, they're free agents. They can do whatever they want. Well, not really. You're, you're now a slave to sin. You're a slave to unrighteousness. John, Jesus says in John 8, 34, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And so you just see this pattern in this person's life that they don't really care what this book has to say. They love their sin, and they want to do what they want to do. And so they've rejected the truth of God's word, and they're living however they want to. Again, we need an honest evaluation of our lives. Am I walking according to the truth of this book? Is it evident in my life, in my actions, in my words? Is it, is it changing that, or is it, am I just the same as I was 10 years ago, as 20 years ago? Again, we have to ask ourselves, are we truly in him? This is because judgment will be based on the evidence. And so I need to evaluate my desires, I need to evaluate my deeds, and then I need to understand my destination based on the evidence. You'll note in the text there are only two destinations. There is a heaven and there is a hell. There is no purgatory. It's so sad that there's over a billion people being taught that, like, there's a third option. Third option. You can kind of be okay, and like you just kind of you eke your way into purgatory, and then you just kind of wait in for a while until someday you make it to heaven. There is no such thing. The Bible is clear. Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. Matthew 16, 27, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. The first person, I'm praying that this describes everyone here this morning, The first person, he will receive eternal life, verse 7 says. Verse 10 describes that you will receive glory and honor and peace. All those who have done good, all those whose works are shown to be good, they will receive honor and glory and peace and eternal life. That's pretty incredible. Like, sometimes I think we forget that as well. Like, how incredible your future is. Like, I get it. Life's hard. But for the believer, this is the only hell you're ever going to know. And then eternal life goes on forever and ever and ever. A place where you're going to receive a glorified body. A place where you're going to hear, well done, good, and faithful servant. Welcome. I got a house for you. Let me show it to you, right? He's, he, he's preparing a place for you even today. It says in John 14. A place of peace. No more battling with sin. No more battling with self. No more battling with Satan. Like, it's over. It's over, over, over. And just eternity worshiping the King of kings and Lord of lords, growing in my knowledge of him year after year after year for all of eternity because that's how great our God is. Like, how incredible is that going to be, guys? Right? Like, don't forget that. As you get discouraged in this life and you're like, COVID, uh," right, like, COVID's going to be over like like that, right? Right? Like, I'm not making a prophecy here, okay? I don't know how long it's going to be, but in compared to eternity, it's nothing. So keep your eyes on Christ. Walk the good walk. Walk in obedience to the Word of God. May the world see the works as you walk in obedience to Him. This is the future for all who put their hope in Christ. But for the self-seeker, radically different. Verse 8, there will be wrath and fury. Wrath and fury. MacArthur talking about this word for fury. The root meaning has to do with moving rapidly and was used of a man's breathing violently while pursuing an enemy in great rage. This person will experience what it says in Hebrews 10:31, "It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God." Like when we consider the power of God and who He is. and as Pastor Michael preached so well last weekend, talking about his kindness, his patience towards us, there is coming a day where that is going to end. And then we will receive what we were due. If we have not placed our hope in Christ, then we will receive wrath and fury. And the result of that will be tribulation and distress. Tribulation can be translated anguish or affliction. Distress, distress can be translated trouble or calamity. Interesting this word for distress, it can also mean like a narrow space. MacArthur says on this, Part of hell's torment will be the absolute, isolated, lonely, and eternal confinement with no possible hope of escape or release. If we understood the horrors of hell, we would not wish it upon our greatest enemy." The only hope for the lost is the gospel. You and I, as believers, we've been shown the truth. And we believe that every man and woman on this earth will be held to this standard. And so we must go to the lost. We have to go to the lost so that they might be saved. From this torment, from the wrath and fury of God, God is holding out. Listen, Second Peter three nine reminds us: God has not come back yet. Why? Because He wishes that some will still yet be saved. He desires that people still be saved. That's why He's not here today. He is being patient and kind, and he's giving you and I opportunity to go to our relatives, to go to our friends, to go to our neighbors, to go to our coworkers, to anyone who will listen to us and say, listen, there is hope in Jesus Christ. You might be saved from the day of the Lord. It is coming. Zephaniah 1, 14 and 15 describes this day like this. Listen to what it says in Zephaniah 1, 14 and 15. The great day of the Lord is near. Near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day. A day of distress and anguish. The same phrase used right in in Romans. A day of ruin and devastation. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. It is going to be a day of rejoicing. For you and I, but such a bitter, terrible day for all who are apart from Christ. In both verses 9 and 10, he says to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The Jews were first both in their opportunity for salvation and also in their judgment accountability. Where are you going? Heaven or hell? Today may be the day where you change course because of God's kindness and mercy towards you. Maybe today, for the first time, you're understanding that you are on the course to hell, but that he is offering you today eternal life. If you would repent of your sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you may be saved. So check your desires, see your actions, understand your destination. For Verse 11 says this, for God shows no partiality. There's not going to be a special set of rules for you. There'll be no talking your way into heaven. He has warned you how it works. Now it's left up to you to make your decision. God is right and just in his judgment. We're going to avoid God's wrath, and you need to have an accurate view of your course. And then lastly, you need to have an accurate view of your culpability. Your culpability. In other words, you are accountable for the judgment that you will receive. We see this in verses 12 through 16. Verse 12 For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged. By the law the law that he's talking about here is the Mosaic law. It was all that they had at the time. It was the Old Testament. And speaking of the Jewish people, he's saying this. Listen, those who don't have the law, which were all the Gentiles, let's be honest, the Jews were not real great at sharing, right? They're like, too bad for you. We got the truth. May that not be said of us. But he's making clear, listen, everyone is accountable, either to the law, the Mosaic law, or to the moral law, as he's going to uh, reveal to us here in these verses. Either one, you are held accountable because in both cases, you know that there's a right and a wrong, and in both cases, you sin. Against that right and wrong. There's no one that can get to heaven or to this judgment day and be able to say, I didn't know, is the point. Everyone knows that they have done wrong, everyone knows that they are guilty. In both cases, they have sinned knowingly. It says in verse 13, For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. He's showing that just because you have the law doesn't mean that you are more righteous than the Gentiles. Knowing what the Ten Commandments are doesn't make you more righteous than the person who doesn't know what the Ten Commandments are. What makes you righteous? Actually following the Ten Commandments. It would be like the person who has a a big old King James Bible on the coffee table, thinking that that because they have that, they're okay with God. that's That's the idea here. The Jewish people are like, we got it. We got the truth. Well, sure you have the truth, but you're not living by it. What a reminder to you and I. This rich word that you and I have been given. Just because we know what's in this book doesn't save us. You can send church all your life and still go to hell. Tragically, it's only those who walk in obedience to the word who will be saved. Matthew 7, 24 to 27, Jesus says it like this. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Verse 26, and everyone then who hears these words of mine and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. it would actually is going, going to be worse for you because you knew the truth. You had it right there. You knew it all. You, you knew that Christ had come but you didn't do anything with it. You continued to walk in your disobedience. And so your knowing does not save you. There's not going to be a cognitive exam on judgment day. All right, if you can get the Ten Commandments, you're in. No, it's did you follow them? Did you walk in obedience to my truth? It's not what we know or even what we say that matters. It's how we actually perform. That's what matters to the Lord. That's what will matter on judgment day. And so he's saying, Jews, just because you have the book doesn't mean you're going to heaven. And then he looks at the Gentiles, verse 14, showing that he's not impartial. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. Note, twice he points out that the Gentiles do not have the law. Again, because the Jews were keeping it for themselves. They didn't have the Torah. But by nature, they still did what the law required. How does that happened? Verse 15. "They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. They have the law written on their hearts. God informing us, in knitting us together in our mother's womb, places upon our hearts the law, that which is right or wrong. Every single person has a sense that there is a right and there is a wrong. Even though we do our best to suppress that truth, going back to Romans 1, we know that there are a, such things as right and wrong. C.S. Lewis, in his book, uh, Mere Christianity, he brings out this point in his observation when people argue with one another. An angry person almost always appeals to some basic standard of behavior that the other person is assumed to recognize, Right? They say things like this, how would you like it if someone did that to you? That's showing right there, that statement shows that they know that there is a standard of right and wrong. That's my seat, I was there first. Kids, you ever say that? Right? Leave him alone, he isn't going to do you any harm. When you look at someone else's life, you see that there are people who are being treated unjustly. Give me, a bit of, give me a bit of your orange. I gave you a bit of mine. Right? Like these are the things that every person on this earth says. Come on. You promised. Right? In other words, there's an expectation that if I say something, I'm actually going to follow through on it. Where does all that come from? It comes from the fact that God has written the law on our hearts. There is a moral law written on every single person's heart. Stott makes this observation. Not all human beings are crooks, thieves, adulterers, and murderers. On the contrary, some honor their parents, recognize the sanctity of human life, are loyal to their spouses, practice honesty, speak the truth, and cultivate contentment, Just as the last six of the Ten Commandments require. Why do they do those things? Because God has written that truth on their hearts. Not only does He write that truth on their hearts, He also gives us a conscience. Verse 15 at the end, their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. This is where guilt comes in for people who've never read the Bible. People who feel badly about what they've done, they feel badly because their conscience is accusing them. And that's where then they're in a real pickle. Because they've done something wrong, now they don't know how to make it right. And so to try to appease the conscience, mankind tries to do all kinds of things. They've invented religions. I know how I can appease my conscience, here's a a way to do it. They invent a God of their own making, They, they make a set of rules of their own making, and if they just follow those sets of rules, then their conscience can be appeased. Some appease their consciences by promising to do better the next time, or or. Or trying to do enough good works to make up for it. The lying or the cheating spouse promises, okay, this time. This time is going to be different. And and for a time, they focus on their spouse. They try to do better. They bring gifts home. They, They try to really be focused. That's how they try to appease the conscience. Some try to numb the conscience through drugs or alcohol. Like, none of that going on in our society, right? Others try to destroy the conscience. That's a popular method today. If we can just get enough people to agree that what is wrong is right, then we can destroy our consciences. We can harden our consciences. And finally be able to be okay with our sin and not feel bad about it anymore. I I believe many of the psychological problems that we're seeing in our society today are a result of the fact that people are hardening their consciences. When we try to operate in a way that God never meant us to operate, there are going to be consequences. See, all of this points, again, to the need for the gospel. Only the gospel can remove the stain of our guilt Only the gospel can do that. There is no other way. And so Gentiles, when they do wrong, then their conscience is pricked and they know that what they have done is wrong. They too are gonna be held accountable on the last day. Paul now shifts to that day of judgment, verse 16. On that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. On that day. According to my gospel. Does Paul have a different gospel to, any, to someone else? No, he's just making it personal. He's just saying, when I proclaim the gospel, God, as I proclaim the gospel, as I proclaimed in my gospel, sorry, God will judge the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. The first thing that we note here is what? Paul and his gospel message includes the bad news. He includes that, that due to our sin, there will be a judgment but note here also that God will judge the secrets of men. Luke Luke twelve two and 3 says this, Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, what you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. No one will get away with anything including being able to say, well, I didn't know. He's just made clear that both the Jew and the Gentile know that they are guilty of wrongdoing, that their works demand judgment. You may be able to fool others, but you will not be able to fool God. And at the end of it all, only what God God says really matters. So where are you going? To heaven or to hell? In this passage here from Romans 2, 1 through 16, God is showing us this is what I base my judgment upon. This is the standard. This is the grid that I will use and as a result of that, as you look at this, you, how can you not say, like, I, we need the gospel. <laughs> we need the gospel because I know left to myself, I will only seek self. I will only walk in disobedience to the word of God. I desperately need a heart change. I desperately need a savior who would save me from my sin. Will your future include honor, glory, glory, peace, and eternal life? Or will, will it be condemnation, distress, tribulation? Today, this morning, I, I just want to encourage you, if you have never placed your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, today would they be that day? Talk with someone that you came with. If you're online, reach out to us. We'd love to talk to you. But there's no reason. God has given us his truth here this morning. There's no reason other than your pride, other than your stubborn heart, that you would have to that you would that you would choose hell over heaven today. I pray that all would choose heaven, that you would repent before it's too late. And we pray. Lord God, we are thankful for your truth this morning. We're thankful for the reminder that you are a just and righteous God. God, we're asking, as the psalmist did in Psalm 139, Lord, would you search our hearts this morning? Would you help us to see, Lord, if we are clinging to good works in order to save rather than clinging to the gospel, clinging to the hope that can be found only through Jesus Christ? God, if there are some here this morning who up until today have had a hard and an unrepentant heart, God, today would you show them that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through you. That only through you can we be forgiven all of our works that have been in rebellion against you. Only through you can we do works that would result in praise to your name. Lord, thank you that for the majority here this morning, that their future is honor and glory and peace and eternal life. And that on that judgment day, there will be great rejoicing when we get to be with you for all of eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.